Hello, Centenary Church. I'm Deidre. I'm so happy to be welcoming you today. Hello to everyone gathering live or later in the week, and hello to any watch parties out there. We'd like to welcome any guests joining us for the very first time. We're so happy you're here. And we'd like to take a few minutes just to share some information that will help you during your first visit with us. For the summer, we're mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there. So we're, we hope to meet you face-to-face -face very soon. But for today, as you visit online, we trust you still feel at home here. You can learn more about us on our website if you have any questions. If you're gathering live on Sunday, we encourage you to check out the options on the online platform. We'd love for you to share your information with us so we can follow up and get feedback from you. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And for those of you that call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or would like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening after our live Sunday gathering, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, please just email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. You can also connect and learn more by checking out our social media, as well as accessing the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page of the website, you'll find all of our messages, including one that's just for kids. They'll sing songs and hear a kid-friendly message just for them, but they'll still be learning from the same scripture text we will be. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to talk about the application and grow together. Also on the messages page are resources like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. If you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox, um, instead of going to the website, you can subscribe right on the Next Steps page. Before I wrap up, I want to direct you to the calendar page of the website to see what's coming up in the next couple of months. You won't want to miss it. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering. Elise, one of our Centerway students, will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then I'll close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Elise with the text for today. Hi, Centerway. I'm Elise, and today we'll be reading Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, through chapter 10, verse 4. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we have put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him, and stirs his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off Israel, head and tail, palm branch and reed, in one day. The elder and the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young, their young men, and has no compassion on the fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of, wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. 
Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude, and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. And today's message is entitled, Direction. Summer Breakthrough direction. Um, When I think a little bit about uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing today, I think of one of my uh, earliest working experiences. In fact, uh, the first job I had right out of high school uh, was at an office supply store. And uh, when I worked there, part of my role, I was a sales associate, which was uh, a very formal way to call someone a stock boy, basically. So I dealt with stocking and restocking shelves. And um, there was this moment as we were heading back into uh, the back to school season, which of course for an office supply store is like, you know, Christmas time. And uh, so it was all this hustle and bustle and it was for the first time for me, I didn't have to go back to school, I was entering into college. And so it was kind of cool to sort of be working and being like, ha ha, you guys have to get school supplies. And uh, as I'm there working, not my boss, but his boss comes out and says, hey, we're low. And I don't even remember what it was. I tried to rack my brain. I just don't remember. Uh, But some type of school supply, if it was folders or notebooks, I don't remember. But we were running low. In fact, the shelves were clear, as is typical around, you know, school return time. And he says, listen, I want you to pull a box off the top and restock the shelves right now. Well, That was a no-no. There were certain times that we were supposed to restock shelves, and this was not one of those times. It was a safety issue according to kind of like the unspoken rules, I guess. Uh, I don't really pretend to remember or know any of the details, except that my boss was not okay with his boss's directive. And so he actually said, no. He's like, what? And he said, we're not stocking shelves now. There's too many customers in the store, and uh, we can't do it. And he's like, no, I'm I'm not asking you to do it. I'm telling you to do this. And he said, oh, I understand what you're telling me. And I'm telling you no. We were like, what? It was amazing because there, nothing like that ever really happened. It was a very low drama environment, as you can imagine, an office supply store. But he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so he said, okay, we'll talk about this later. And so he looks at us, some of the sales associates, and he says, get the uh, ladder and pull that down. And we're like, uh, so we're looking at our boss and his boss, who is actually our ultimate boss. And we're like, okay. And so he puts a sales associate at one end of the aisle, another one at the other end. And then two of us have to go up on these ladders and pull down. They were like stairs, not ladders. They were like rolling stairs, pull down these boxes. And so we start restocking and our boss is furious. I mean, his face is red and he just storms off. We're like, holy cow, this is crazy. So we're stocking the supplies and jump ahead. We're having a conversation. I don't know how much later, later on that day though. And there's our boss and he's comes out of the office space and um, he's just kind of muttering to himself. And we're like, dude, what's going on? And he said, I got written up. And we're like, what does that mean? (laughs) 
He goes, basically, it's like the first step in a process of firing me if I continue to fail to comply. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's what he said, that I failed to comply. So it's a failure to comply on my permanent work record or whatever. And he was so angry. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And he's like, yeah, it's just not safe. I'm not going to do it. So if he asks me to do it again, I don't know. It might cost me my job. We're like, whoa, this is nuts. And uh, so we're just kind of sitting there and we're talking. And he was just... I don't know, maybe five years older than us. So it wasn't like he was a really older guy, you know, demanding a ton of respect or anything. And that will make sense based on what happens next. So we're sitting there and one of, uh, one of my friends or acquaintances says, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and take my break. And he starts to walk away. And our boss goes, hold up, hold up. He said, did you swap out that end cap? The end caps, the end of the aisles. He wanted to change some of the stock. And he said, did you swap out that end cap? And he goes, uh, no, not yet. I'll do it after my break. And he goes, no, no, I want you to do it before your break. And he goes, what? He goes, yeah, I told you to do it earlier. I want you to do it now. And he goes, no. He's like, what? And he goes, are you going to write me up for failure to comply? And we were all like, oh my gosh, is this happening? And his face got red and it was like this tense moment. And he said, yes, I will. So go do it now. And we're like, what? And so he's like, whatever. And so he goes to do it. And it was like, it was crazy. Here's this moment where he is so angry that his boss is making him comply. And then in a moment's notice, he's looking at one of his employees and he's demanding that they comply. So here's the question I want us to consider as we move into the text. It's this, why do we require compliance? Why do we require compliance? I find it interesting how quickly and often we think how things could be done differently. Regardless of the situation, whether you're at school, at work, in a relationship, we have an opinion how things could maybe be done better or more efficient. Maybe even in a friendship or a group of friends where we think, why are we doing it this way? Now, don't get me wrong. I realize that we're all wired differently and not all of us will readily voice what it is that we think. But as humans, we all have an opinion. We all have a thought. Whether or not we articulate it readily or not, we have an opinion and a thought. I say we don't all readily voice what we think because the reality is in the right situation or in the right circumstance, we'll all eventually speak up and or refuse to comply. Now, we might, you know, say, well, I'm not that type of person. Like, I'm a rule follower. If somebody tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. But in the right circumstance or the right situation, you would refuse to do something you're being told to do. Again, there are those of us that will readily offer our thoughts on any given moment, at any given moment, in any given circumstances, even if we're not well-informed, we just have an opinion and we'll just spout off about it. There's some of us that are wired that way. And in those instances, if everybody disagrees with us, we might just say, well, that's what I think and I'm not going to participate in what you think. But then there are also those of us that will speak up only if our values are being violated. It's like, we'll be silent and we'll, we'll just follow the rules and we'll do what it is that the people in authority over us tell us to do unless our values are being violated. And then we, we draw this line and we're like, listen, I can't do that. We speak up. And then there are also those of us that maybe don't hold values as a, as a way of, of kind of breaking down and voicing our opinion, but 
We will speak up if someone's safety is at risk, especially if it's somebody that we love or care about. Suddenly we say, wait, this is too far. I'm not gonna stand by quiet while someone gets hurt or their safety is at risk. I could go on with all the different examples of how it is that we're wired differently, but the point is this, we all have opinions and at some point, we will either voice those thoughts or we'll withhold our compliance. Say, I'm not gonna do it. Yet, when we have the idea, or we're, when we're giving the directive, we require compliance. Isn't that interesting? We require compliance. Now, now, even again, we're wired differently. So there might be those of us that are more domineering that say, do it because I said so. But there's others of us that will, will begrudgingly be frustrated or annoyed when everyone dismisses us. So maybe we won't voice it, but inside we're annoyed that people aren't complying to our directive. This is played out most clearly when we become parents. So for those of you that have not had children, maybe you've interacted with any child, whether it's babysitting or even uh, someone younger, a younger sibling or something, where you're like, listen, do this. And they're like, no, like, do it, make me. You have to do it, why? Because I said so. As if that has ever worked in the history of the world, where people are like, oh, Oh, Bob, Bob, did you hear Did you hear that? He said so. So because he said so, we should do it. So he pulled out the magic, he said so. So let's go ahead. <laughs> Compliance is, is something that goes against or falls in line with something inside of us. We either decide we'll be a part of that or we decide we won't. And we're always frustrated when we're ignored or when we're dismissed. Why is that? Why is it that we require compliance? Well, it's embarrassingly obvious. It's because we've said it. Because we've said to do something. And in some cases, we've even thought that thing through. I say in some cases because there are those of us that say things and then as people are like, no, I'm not gonna do that, it's not safe. In the back of our mind, we're like, all right, that's not safe. Well, all right, let's come up with a better idea. But. If we've thought that thing through and we voice it, we think, listen, this is the best option. We have ownership of the decision that we've articulated. And so, of course, it's a good idea. It aligns with our values. It's considerate of the people that we care about or ourselves. And so because of that, we think people should listen. Listen, we require compliance to our ideas and our directives because of pride because of pride. The reason we require compliance to our ideas and our directives, whether or not we say, hey, listen, because I said so, or because we're silently frustrated that we've been dismissed or ignored, the same is true. The reason why we're upset in that moment that someone is not complying with what it is that we've said is because of pride. Pride says, I've thought it through more thoroughly than you have. My way is better than yours. So whether or not we say that, like I said, or whether we just think it in our heart or in our minds, the fact is we want them to comply because we've thought it through. Our way's better. We hate to admit it, but we all struggle with this. As human beings, we all struggle with this. No one is exempt from the pride struggle. And here's the deal. It's nothing new to humanity. And pride's been around since the beginning of time. 
In fact, we can look in Isaiah and see that this is one of the main struggles of this week. Verses 9 through 10 says this, And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, and this is what they say, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. Now, in our, you know, contemporary language, we're like, what are they talking about? Basically, they're saying, yeah, we get it. The bricks have fallen down. We'll just, we'll rebuild with better material. These trees have been cut down, the sycamores. That's okay. We're going to plant cedars and replace it. Basically, what they're saying is we've done things our way. And when we're faced with the consequences of that destruction, we will remain prideful and convinced that our way is still fine, that our way is right. Saying, literally, I will not comply with God. And when I reap the consequences, I won't repent. They don't turn towards God here. They, they don't feel the brokenness of the, of the consequences of their decisions. No, instead they justify and they reframe their situation because it's not possible that they're wrong, Right? It's not that they've made a wrong choice or that they're in some way in rebellion. No, of course not. Their way is right. Their way is better. So instead, they're just, they're going to make lemonade out of the lemons that they've been, you know, handed to. All too often, we don't consider the consequences of the decisions we make. We just try to justify. We explain them away. And so what happens? They, like us, turn to people that tell them what they want to hear to help them justify the decisions that they've made. And that's what we see in verses 16 through 17. It says this, For those who guide this people, guide them. They've been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. In other words, everyone that's guilty is going to feel the wrath of their rebellion. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger, God's anger, has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. People will pay the consequences for their rebellion. God is angry at their disobedience. In fact, he's so angry that it doesn't matter that there's, that there's the fatherless and the widows, that no one, regardless of their station in life, is somehow innocent from the pride of life and the rebellion against God. And so the following verses actually speak of God's wrath specifically towards their rebellion. And when we look at the end of even verse 21, when we jump ahead, the end of verse 21 says this, For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. It sounds familiar, right? It's the same as the end of verse 17. It's a repetition saying, listen, God is still angry. He still has anger towards rebellion and, and he's still looking for repentance. He's looking for, the, for humanity to come to the conclusion that they're at the end of themselves. They've lived in rebellion. Check this out. If we jump ahead to chapter 10, verse 4, the last verse of Today's pericope, today's section of scripture, verse 4 says this, Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. And here's the end of the verse. For all this, 
His anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Sounds hopeless, right? It sounds almost like God is sort of like a vendetta keeper. Like, he's angry. He's got a chip on his shoulder. If you don't understand the, the circumstances and the situations, the way that, that God has continually tried to reach out to these nations and they have continually turned their back and said, no, listen, it's, it's our way. It's my way. I've got this figured out. God, listen, I'm going to go through the motions of relationship with you, but don't speak into the situations of my life. Don't try to direct my path. Now, I've got this, God. I'm going to figure it out. It's my way. And so I don't need to comply. I don't need to fall in line with you because I've thought this through. My way actually makes more sense than your way. It sounds so hopeless because we as humans are filled with pride. We're right there. Generations later, we are still these people saying, listen, God, your way doesn't always make sense. I I think I've got this figured out. Let me negotiate this relationship. Let me figure out my plan for my life. We want things our way. But here's the deal. We're all filled with pride and God resists the proud is what scripture tells us. In fact, he has unrelenting anger towards rebellion. What? What in the world? I mean, are are we doomed here? Listen, his anger is just. It makes sense. We're living in rebellion. We're living pridefully. God is the creator of the universe and and has knit us together in our mother's womb. And then he has given us this skill set and the giftings. And then he empowers us. And we are so prideful that we say, hey, God, I got this. I mean, this is my life. He's like, what? You are created. I am the creator and I desperately love you. Why won't you listen to me? His anger makes sense. Rebellion is sin. Rebellion puts us in a a distant relationship with God. It separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. And sin requires punishment. God's wrath towards sin must be appeased. It is terrifying. It's terrifying to to realize that we in and of ourselves are pride-filled and that God resists the pride resists the proud, and requires his wrath to be appeased unless, unless you realize that his wrath was appeased. Get this. Jesus went to a cross and drank from the cup of wrath. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus literally says, can this cup pass from me? He's making reference to the cup of wrath. He's making reference to to God's anger towards sin and the punishment that must be paid. And yet he says, nonetheless, your will, not my will be done. And he goes to a cross and he dies. You see, Jesus endured the punishment of our pride by humbling himself and going to a cross and dying the death that we deserve. It's that awareness that has to shake us and transform us. That in and of ourselves, we can't uproot this pride issue in our heart and our mind, but we can acknowledge the one who humbled himself and died the death that we deserve. Get this, we will struggle with pride and rebellion, but because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we don't have to suffer the consequences if we would just repent. 
If we would just repent and turn towards him. If in that moment of awareness that we're living in pride, that we're living in rebellion, we would just repent and acknowledge that Jesus paid the price that we deserve. Say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my heart of pride, my season of rebellion? God, I want your way, your will, not mine. Would you lead me? Would you direct me? If we would just turn towards him, acknowledge that his way is better than your way, that his way is better than my way. Allow God to break through and to direct your path. If we would just allow God to give us the direction he so desperately wants us to have, then we could live life to the fullest and we could rest in his will and acknowledge the one that loves us far more than we can even imagine, cares for us so much to lead us and direct us if we would just stop requiring his compliance and submit to his will. In fact, we say every week that the text requires something of us. And I want you to ask a question of yourself this week. This is the question, where in my life will I repent of my rebellion against God? Where in my life will I repent of my rebellion against God? For some of us, it's a fairly easy decision. We've been living in rebellion against God. We've been living for ourselves. We've never come into relationship with God. And so if you're out there and you want to come into relationship with God and stop living in rebellion, acknowledge the death that Jesus died for you. It's as simple as praying a prayer and it doesn't have to be specific words, but something along the lines of acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, asking him to forgive you, come and be the Lord and leader of your life and just declare, Lord, I want your will for my life. Would you lead me and direct me? I repent for my sin and turn towards you. In fact, if you prayed that prayer and you're live with us today, if you would just click on the request prayer button, that'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts. We would love the opportunity to have a conversation with you to talk about next steps in the decision you've made. If you're watching or listening to this later on, you can always reach out through our website or even our email. We'd love to talk to you and come alongside you as you make that decision. For the rest of us today, if if you've already prayed that prayer, if you cross that line of salvation, I want, to, I want to challenge you to consider what does it look like to repent in your rebellion against God? Is, is there a relationship that you're engaged in that, that is just an outright rebellion and you need to, to repent and, and bring that relationship into right alignment with what it is that God's calling you to do and be? Is it finances? Is it a job? Is it friends? I, I don't know the situation, but in some area of our lives, We have a form of rebellion because we have pride. We have our way. We have our thoughts. And so we never outpace the text. There's there's never a time that you can sit in scripture and be like, oh, those people were rebellious. Glad I'm not them. I mean, I always make the right decision. No, this is here because it still rings true hundreds, thousands of years later. We want to live for ourselves. So what does it look like to allow the Lord to search your heart, regardless of where you are? I want to challenge you to ask the Lord to search your heart and consider what it is that you need to repent of, your rebellion against God. And by repenting, you're then turning that situation, that relationship, that circumstance, whatever it is, and say, God, would you show me? Would you direct me? 
I want to do your will according to what scripture says. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge the pride of life. We acknowledge that we want our way, that we think more often than we want to admit that that we understand a circumstance or situation maybe even better than you. But Lord, today, collectively, we acknowledge that, that your way is better than our way, that your ways are higher than our ways. And so, Father, we pray that that you would would lead us as we repent, as we turn away from our way and ask you to lead us and guide us, that you would speak through other godly people, that you would speak through scripture, that you would make clear what it is that we're to do. Father, all too often we know what it is we need to do. We're just not willing to do what's hard. And so, Father, I pray you'd give us strength, that we would live according to your will so that we could experience the fullness of life that you want for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited to be with you again next week as we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. Thanks so much for gathering with us today. We encourage you to take time to apply the text this week and consider areas of rebellion against God. We know you'll find direction as you walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Applying the text is one way to worship, and there are many other ways as well. One way we can worship together is to sing. And if you're gathered live, we're about to do just that. If you're not with us live, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Summer Breakthrough playlist. You can also look for the video that will be posted on our Facebook page. For those gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.